the first law of Ivanova's hair. Doesn't make any sense. Do the IMDb corner because oh, we're going to Do you know what it's like when telepaths make love? You and I being of firm New England stock understand yeah. what it means to be emotionally bound up. This might be my adult brain. Look at you being all judgy. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. I generally want uh, less Jack the Ripper. I should probably just cut all of this. The dutiful master of horse. Brain, brain, what is brain? Oh, I'm sorry. Suck it, DS9. I'm full of tiny vorlons. Cougar for Cocoa Puffs. Don't step to me with Bionic Bigfoot, man. I think I've had enough of you. I shall sail into the west and remain Garibaldi. What's she gonna look like with a chimney on her? Episode 101, Phoenix Rising, in which Garibaldi confronts Bester and Byron's telepath uprising comes to its inevitable end. M. Ahem. And we will all come together on a better pod. A better pod than this. <laughs> this is the name of the pod. You're all singing, all dancing Babylon 5 podcast where we look at the enduring cultural legacy of the 1990s television show Babylon 5. And I am, of course, one of your uh, co-hosts, Chris Tatro. And joining me, my good friend and co-host. John Cassie. How's it going, man? It's 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 going all right. Yeah, yeah. It's going all right. Yeah. Life is, uh, it's 2020, life is proceeding uh-huh. apace, we're back to a kind of normal rhythm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and here we go, and we're, we're in the process of wrapping up the telepath war arc. Right. Uh, which, as we said in the last episode, really we should have done these two together. 100%. If we had, had any foresight, or actually kind of looked ahead and maybe, you know, re- I didn't want to spoil myself, but... You know, had we known that these two really should have gone hand in glove, then we we would have uh, we would have tied them yeah. in as one episode. Yeah, I mean, Clearly. I I for sure. I think that taken as a uh, taken as a uh, as acts four and five of a of a tele of a television movie, mm-hmm. this would have simply felt like. Uh, the sort of apt and formulaic ending of Mm -hmm. the stuff that was set up with Lockley's Lockley's work, right? Yes. But Mm -hmm. as a standalone episode that I'm supposed to now sort of consume from an act one to an act five, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it didn't. It didn't really land for me. Um, yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I didn't have that. It didn't. It, it wasn't the the grand culmination that we've come to expect from arcs on Babylon Five. Right. Right. Yeah. It you is. Know, it is nominally the end of a major, major story that has yeah. had elements in it going back to the first season. Mm-hmm. And it just felt sort of lifeless. Yeah. Yeah, from a lesser show, I would probably accept this. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, but not from but, this one. Yeah, not from this one. No, no, unfortunately. And and a lot of this this particular episode, felt, I I thought felt kind of padded out. Yes. Um, there was a lot of back and forthing between. Oh, we're going to talk to them. No, we're not going to talk to them. The the whole hostage situation in the med lab. Right. They never really got a a resolution. Didn't really seem to you know? resolve in any. Yep. Yeah, you know, if they if they say okay, we'll let them go as long as you meet with 
with Byron and everybody. Uh, and then everything goes south with Byron. Well, I presume that, that there were still telepaths in the med lab holding the, the hostages and what they just say, well, I guess we're done. You know, you, you, you lived up to your word and walk off or, you know, would that continue on? It, it, it yeah. Um, yeah, things fa- and and then the the act 5 kind of you know after the after the resolution the the denouement as it were it's it's it it just felt like it was kind of limply hanging on there. I Yeah. I you know, I don't know if JMS sort of ran out of of steam um or if he was already on to the next thing, the next <clears throat> arc in his brain as he was as as he was putting this one together. Um it feels like, for the first time, really, in this show, he doesn't even care about his own about his own ending. Yeah, that, I mean, that was that was the feeling I got. It's you know, like he wasn't putting his he he certainly wasn't bringing his A game here. No, no, uh, at at least you know, at least in our in our read of it, right? Yeah, uh, it certainly doesn't help that we're not big Byron fans. Right. And so we're not moved by mm-hmm. his ending. Right. Um, it... And maybe because we're now watching this in 2020 as opposed to 1998 or 1999, you know, we've seen... We've seen a lot of how these things end, right? You know, we yeah. will not negotiate with terrorists. Urgh. You know, yeah. this kind of stuff always kind of ends, you know, in your, uh, you know, kind of Clinton era fantasy with, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know, the good guys, mm-hmm. you know, you're harking back to our last episode, you know, your forces of Creon, right, mm-hmm. you know, doing doing right by the people and taking out the uh you know the bad guys, right? Um, yeah, and it all just seems very flat, formulaic, and and by the numbers. Um, yeah, and and especially the the way that things end up, you know, could not be more, you know, Waco Branch Davidian. One hundred percent. If they tried, you know, if right. the if the telepaths had all sort of like instead of going up in a in a fiery explosion you know, had kind of, you know, each you turned off each other's minds or something or, or, you know, gone into, done some sort of, you know, psychic brain death, you know, ritual uh, to, to sacrifice themselves or even taken uh, like, like, you know, poison caplets hidden under teeth. You know, right. Here, they could have distanced it from, from the events that, that JMS was clearly reflecting that were so recent at the right, time. Right. Here's, to your point, Okay, here's why this really doesn't work for me. This is a telepath war. Okay. Yes. JMS has shown us in the past a very strong willingness to go into telepath mind space. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Lots of lots of lighting from below, uh, mm. strange camera angles. You know this Jack the Ripper kind of stuff that 
that uh, you know what's going on. It's a it's a it's a it's a messing with the minds, right? Yeah. So he he's done a lot of that mm-hmm. in this show. Okay. He cut his teeth on the new Twilight Zone. Okay. Right. Where he was a major major figure. This is a war of telepaths with telepaths. This should not have even been comprehensible to the rest of the station staff. Mm. And it should have been, for us, the viewers, all telepath all the time. Okay? Yeah. It it should... uh, We have spoken on this program about part eight, episode eight of the revived Twin Peaks, okay? Oh, yes. Which yes. is a complete... I mean, it's not even television. It's I, it's it's abstract art. I still don't know what I it is other no than... I have no idea what... David Lynch trolling the audience hard. Right, okay? Yeah. It was profoundly surreal, mm-hmm. visionary, disturbing, mm. edgy... It was a piece of art, okay? Mm-hmm. But its tone is exactly what what JMS should have been, I think, striving for, right? Yeah. How on earth would a non-telepath interpret the 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 mental work of telepaths at war with each other? This should have been like what was that video drone? Right? People's uh-huh. heads should have been exploding. Right. 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 It should have looked yeah. like that. Yeah. That would have at well, least it, been unsettling. Yeah. Right? And we had lots of good, you know, like you say, we've had lots of good telepath stuff before. That that episode where Jakar takes the, you know, the side drug and, and is having all these visions and things. Totally. And, I mean, that was that was good kind of in the mental landscape thing. Um yeah, but it, you know, instead you have the psy cops running around with with pistols, right? Which doesn't make doesn't a huge make amount any of sense, sense to me. Nope. Um, I think now, if we took JMS from 2018-2019, yep, the JMS that was you know co-responsible for Sense Eight, right. And brought him Sent back, him back. And said, right. do this. Um, you know, it feels like, and I I honestly don't know how much of the development of Sense8 was split between the Wachowski sisters and uh, JMS. But, you know, yeah, that's that's kind of more of what I wanted to to kind of see. Just make it make it weird, make it trippy, make it all right. happening within this, this sort of shared mental space. Totally. Um, that that's happening at the speed of thought exactly and and that would have fixed my biggest problem with the episode which is the two minutes and 30 seconds <laughs> between when the fuel spill happens and everyone's like don't shoot stop shooting and you know byron gets to monologue and they get the tearful farewell and everyone's just kind of standing around you know if 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 that's all happening kind of in a mind space so quickly then okay I, I can buy that. Right. But, you know, in a in a standoff where it's clear to, to anybody with two brain cells to rub together how this is gonna go down. Right, right. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. That 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 I thought was uh, it's 
Yeah. It, it it's look, we can It needed a second pass at least. Right. We can do all kinds of chatting about well, this didn't really kind of work. It's not that it's bad, but it's not really it's not what I'm looking for or whatever, right? And mm. that's you can you know, people of of good conscience can can dispute art, right? Mm-hmm. If you've decided that you're going to end this with a massive chemical spill that will kill everyone, and then you let a character talk in what amounts to a super fun site, <laughs> you know, for two and a half minutes, speechifying, yeah. while while deadly chemicals are causing the ship to to trigger all of its alarms. It's just it's just it's just yeah. dumb. Yeah. Right? And we haven't had this kind of what? Really? This is what we're doing? Mm. Really since season one. Right? Very true. And Very true. you know, we, we talked uh, uh I think in our last episode about yeah. uh worst genre programs. Yes. Uh, I think that this is not the the worst episode of Babylon Five ever made, but uh, I think that certainly for a denouement of a major story arc, it's just it's just super unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they well they owe these characters and they owe the story more than you know than we than we were given. Um. Yeah, and I don't. I, I don't know what more. Yeah. You know, my my only hope is that, as I said earlier, that JMS's creative juices were already on to the next thing. Yes, um, and he was he, he and as you say, he had, that he had kind of lost interest with the rest of this story. You know, it was like oh, I got to put this thing in. You know, this was this was generated very quickly when he knew that he had the fifth season that he had to deal with. Um, but he had more time to think about the back half of the season. Right. So, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put my, uh, I'm going to put my hopes on that. Yeah. That there really isn't any, any way to, uh, uh, you know, to sort of interpret this differently. Right. Right. I mean, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But one of the one of the pieces that I that I wanted to kind of explore within the show um, that I think this episode maybe lends itself to very well is the um, the notion of, of how masculinity is presented. Okay. In yep. Babylon Five, if, yep. if you're okay switching topics totally. at this point. Totally. Okay. Good. Yeah, I don't um, I don't really think that uh, you know that that more more productively will be gained from. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I think you have a telepath war that you have basically rendered into, uh, you know, an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man. Okay, well, move mm-hmm. on, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, notions of masculinity. Go. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, you you see this show in the mid '90s coming out of the the kind of hyper-masculine action hero 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at JMS's life, 
uh, you know, as we read in Becoming Superman, not mm-hmm. having a lot of really strong male role models in mm-hmm. his life, or positive role. He certainly had strong yeah, male yes. figures, but no positive ones. Um, and I think it's interesting that you know, we, we so rarely see the kind of level of toxic masculinity uh, showing up here. It's another way I think that this show is ahead of its time. Right. You know, you very rarely get uh, situations resolved with with violence, with, uh-huh. a, with a fist fight. Um, you know, with you know, there's 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 shouting and there's posturing. Uh-huh. But I think that uh, I think that it's it's it definitely takes a, a gentler and more cerebral approach. Uh, to addressing many of, not all, but many of the uh, the approach, the the kind of viewpoints of the of the male characters of the show. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's unique in the '90s. You know, we certainly see uh, Benjamin Sisko uh, being a very different kind of you know lead of a uh, a very different kind of man in a in a show. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, a single father. There's a lot of, uh, there's a, so much sensitivity in the way that, that Avery Brooks renders that character. Totally. Um, you know, so, you know, in a lot of ways, again, we've got these, these two shows that are kind of, uh, you know, on parallel tracks. Yes. Uh, with a lot of similar messages and a lot of similar, similar images. You know, I think, I think we still had a lot of kind of, you know, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Van Damme kind of, you know, Actiony hero stuff in the process of petering out in the nineties. Um, yeah, uh, you, the nineties is sort of the rise of sort of Will Smith mm-hmm. as your action hero de guerre, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. De jour, not de guerre, you know. Um, yeah. And by being much younger than Arnold Sylvester. Van Damme, Steven Seagal, and by having a kind of uh, more uh, cartoonish, uh, playful uh, spirit, mm-hmm. it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, the Will Smith action hero sort of undermines a little bit all of that Rambo, Die Hard, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it makes it a little bit more like, like a Warner Brothers kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that maybe helps create a kind of context for what you're talking about on television. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think as you get a few more years down the line, you know, post 9-11, you get a lot more of they're not necessarily big, beefy, you know, heroes like Arnold, but you get a lot of, of hard men doing hard things. Uh, your Jack Bowers, uh, right? Your kinds of situations, and and all of these, uh, this myriad of of cop shows that my wife seems to watch incessantly. Um, you know, there's you know Chicago cops and you know CSI, <laughs> you know Des Moines, and right, right. Know, I, I I I I lose track of them all, um, and it's all it's all these sort of like grizzled like we've got to be hard, we've got to be tough, and. Um, and and that's you know with the exception of with two exceptions i'm going to say early jakar yes and michael garibaldi yes you know that's not that's not the image and and things don't end well for either of those 
yes. things don't go well, you know, Jakara for all of his blustering and his his aggressiveness, uh, you know, doesn't get him anywhere. And it's really once he's become more of the prophet Jakar. Right. That, uh, you know, that we see him more at, at peace with himself, with the world around him. And, and Garibaldi seems to be consistently making the wrong choice anytime, anytime any opportunity comes up, as we right. see in this episode. Right. You know, he's, he's going you know, to try to punch his way out of a situation or shoot his way out. And uh, it's just not how the world seems to work anymore. Not for him. It's yeah, right. Yeah, he's he's he Garibaldi is very much an '80s action hero character in a setting that that where that doesn't work anymore. Right. You know. Yeah. Exactly. You, know, exactly. you can't you can't punch your way or shoot your way out if somebody can put a, a mind block in that prevents that. Right. So what are you gonna do? Yeah. That that is going to allow you to get to a place of personal peace, right? Mm-hmm. But because Garibaldi, if you take a continuum of masculinities as mm-hmm. depicted on this program, Garibaldi, to your point, occupies yeah. the conventionalist mm-hmm. uh, space that might be called in 2020 the toxically masculine kind of space, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're Steven Seagal, you're action hero, you're Bruce Willis, right? You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and he's given the only out that characters like that are given back to the bottle. Yeah. Right. You're not allowed, you know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to grow. You're not allowed to grow. Right. You're right. allowed to regress, mm-hmm. but you're not allowed to grow. And there were opportunities for growth that we saw, uh, you know, in the past with all of that work that he did on Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay. But either those lessons did not take or this is a character who's not allowed, you, you know, he's not allowed to learn those lessons. Right. Right. And right. so... And so he has to keep enacting his past and how he how he was raised and mm-hmm. and yeah y- you know the nature of his failures and that kind of thing. Yeah, he's trapped in his own cycle. Yeah, that he's the only one who that that can get him out of it, but he doesn't necessarily show the ability or really possibly even the interest in in getting out of his of his cycle. Well, he you doesn't know, and, seem and, interested, does he? No. Uh, I think he's very, very content with being who he is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that fundamentally who he is is part of the problem for him. Yeah. Right. You have been presented this life. You deal with it in this way. That way is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. In order to be more effective in your life, you need to change because the world around you isn't going to change for your benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not going to do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Part part of that personality is digging in and refusing to change. Right. Right. So, Uh, you know, this, this conversation reminds me of the, the business with Gorkon and Kirk in Star Mm -hmm. Trek six, right. Mm -hmm. You know, 
this world that 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 is being proposed, you know, Captain Kirk, you, you and I will have the hardest time living in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, the world is changing; it is going to change. What yeah. these notions mean changes over time, um, and that's very hard for people who've who've accepted a uh, uh, a social construct that is no more than you know, a couple of centuries old as the way that it has always been since ever, forever, right? right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was talking just a couple of episodes ago on this program about this idea of America 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. One of the ways that you know that, that what I've said before is true is because what was defined as conventionally masculine and conventionally feminine in America 2.0 is now all up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Right? We live in a world where uh, where where every single male character on Sense8, the most recent JMS television production, mm-hmm. is much more nuanced in their masculinity than any character on Babylon 5. There are plenty of men, and there yes. are cops, and there are manly men, and all this kind of stuff, yeah. but they're not, they don't interact with the world the way that Garibaldi and Sheridan and Seclair and uh, uh, Zach Allen um, and company yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think Will, the, the, the Chicago cop, you know, not from the aforementioned show Chicago Cops, but uh, well, uh, now, I, I, I don't think that he I, he look, he feels very much a JMS uh, a JMS man of the Babylon Five. Okay, straight. I'm gonna I'm gonna reject that on Please. two grounds. One, reconsider the way he relates to his dad. Mm. Okay, he's regularly inhabited by women characters mm-hmm. okay for which he doesn't make any kind of right i mean his body yeah. is literally being doesn't. controlled by women right mm-hmm. which would i mean garibaldi i think would say something and he, frankly yeah. sense eight is particularly season two is full of um uh pansexual uh y- y- you know uh yeah orgies yep he doesn't seem to have any trouble, you know, in True. in that kind of a context, you know. True. And True. I know that that's a symbolic representation of them in their headspace, right? Mm. <clears throat> On some level, that's what I want the telepath war to, to look like, right? Right. Like, we don't really understand even what we're seeing because mm-hmm. we're not telepaths. Right. Right. Um, so, okay. So you got Garibaldi as sort of your yeah. quintessential grizzled cop kind of old mm-hmm. school you know, archetype. Yeah, Philip Marlowe. Yeah. You know, old, old school. Okay. Right. So, what does the continuum look like? I think. I think maybe a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to even, I, I don't really even want to use directions because they're so, you know, tied into political discourse these days. But a little bit along the spectrum from that, 
I think you find, I would say you get, uh, you get Sheridan. And then a little further away from the Garibaldi axis, you get Sinclair. Okay. And then I would say at the other extreme is probably where you would find like Lanier. Okay. That's okay. how I would view it with, with Marcus, uh, probably somewhere around the, uh, somewhere maybe between Sinclair Lanier end of the, end of the spectrum. Right. You know, Marcus is positioned as the kind of, you know, Cervantes, uh, uh-huh. Song of Roland kind of medieval troubadour kind of, you know, right. the court courtly love kind of thing, right. right? So his military prowess is always conditioned by his pursuit of the unattainable Ivanova. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas Garibaldi reads like he's just come off a dragnet. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so they're a little yeah. hard to compare because they're they're enacting they're both enacting stereotypical masculinity, but just of different types. Right. Of, yeah, almost right. like from completely different genres <clears throat> of, of uh, you know literature, entertainment, what have right, you. Right. Right. Yeah. So I I think that that if if I'm if I'm running this this line right, mm-hmm. you've got Garibaldi in the most you know kind of conventional mm-hmm. masculinity right, uh, then probably Zach Allen. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. I hadn't mentioned him, but um, I would definitely. Yeah. Right. Then Sheridan, Mm -hmm. then Sinclair, and I think, in fact, it's Sinclair's distance from Garibaldi that makes that partnership actually more effective than the Sheridan-Garibaldi. Okay, sure. Because Sinclair sees the world from from a very... Um... He he's a little more pragmatic, where mm-hmm. Sinclair's uh, Sheridan is a little bit more idealistic, right? I think mm-hmm. that those guys over there, your Garibaldi's, your Zach Allen's, your Sheridan's, sort mm-hmm. of see the world in in blacks and whites, uh-huh. and being able to appreciate a nuance is is something that is not it's not very John Wayne. It's not very Clark right. Gable. It's not very Steven Seagal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's let me let me reflect on the nuance between that position and this. No, crush bad guys, boom yeah. boom, right? You know this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that leaves all of the more reasoned twenty-first uh, century masculinities to aliens mm-hmm. right right um yeah you've got in his own cultural context um londo is no different from garibaldi it's just the cultural mm-hmm. context is different okay yeah um yeah 
Jakar was no different, but his journey has been to a more subtlety. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. And Lanier, by virtue of being a monk, was on a certain pathway that made a lot of sense, but now he's been pulled off it. Mm -hmm. And he's put back into this more conventional. Yeah. Because he's off to, you know, I'm going to go train and get buff, you know? Yeah. Going to go kill dudes, you know? This kind of thing. Right. Right? Yeah, the, the... You know, I, I see in Lanier, and I, I don't, even after reading Becoming Superman, I, I don't know enough about JMS's young life to to be able to say how much of that is a ref, of Lanier is a reflection. Yes. Of his kind of teenage, you know, the 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 teenage nerd, uh, you know, not not able to uh, to court the you know. It, sort of the courtly love thing that you were talking about before, but, right. but in a much more modern context of, you know, not, you're pursuing the the high school, you know, quarterback slash cheerleader slash what have you right. uh, that, that that you're unable to, to get. So, you know, going and, and kind of turning the life into, you know, trying to, trying to kind of ape this masculinity or mock this, right. adapt it right. that, that you don't really belong in. In order to, to kind of prove oneself to uh, to that you know, romantic object or, or uh, unattainable uh, right person, um, it's and, and I think certainly the the years since 1998 or so have shown that that's a really problematic masculinity in and of itself. Right. Uh, so as much as we say it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of Garibaldi. There's there's still a lot of, of similarity in there, so totally. Like kind of circles instead of a, a line. Right, right. Um, for for sure, right. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we get a lot of sociological thinking on this show um, about these kinds of questions. You know, gender, sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know that kind, of, which is is fine. You know, he's not he's yeah. under no obligation to do so. Right. Right. Um, but yet it wasn't certainly wasn't in the zeitgeist of the nineties no, as much as no. it is today. No. And and we may be unfair by looking at it through today's lens, but uh but I think it's it's something and we saw within this set, you know, that with there were a lot of these in play within this within this one episode that we don't for negotiate sure. with terrorists. For sure. And, and you know, Byron, oh I'm gonna sacrifice myself and you know, you are the willow uh you know Right. You know, his you know, that the only way out for him is 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 sacrifice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, By- Byron, Byron feels very much like the, uh, uh, Jim Jones, uh, David Koresh, uh, yeah. Shoko Asahara, right. Mm-hmm. All of these kind of cult leaders that bring their, their, uh, their masculinity, their sexuality, their, their charisma to bear, mm-hmm on uh you know on their followers uh in ways that they inevitably lose control over right they they right. become they become paranoid and delusional mm-hmm. always yeah and then they uh, you know they they undergo an apotheosis see themselves as being like a god mm-hmm. or god himself 
And then the transition is always through violence. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fairly textbook. I mean, you can you can to you can me see it is the exact same. Yeah, you can see the same progression in you know in all the cases that you you talk about or or you know any of any of a number of other kind of cult activities or cult leaders throughout the 20th century. Right. Into the 21st. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's kind of astonishing how how formulaic it gets historically. Oh, right. Right. It's yeah. it's not even uh it's it's not even uh, you know kind of worth remarking on. Oh right. Yeah. Oh, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, okay. Then this happens, and then this happens, yeah. and then oh, yeah. Oh, we've we've hit the milestone. It, it, it's like achievements in a video game. Oh, we've right. hit the the now. Uh, you know, I must be married to all the women in my group. Uh, we've unlocked that achievement. That's well, right. Okay, we know that's along the path. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Pr- yeah. Pr- pretty soon, uh, you know, you'll get. Uh, uh, Revealed new wisdom by God. Yep. Right. Yep. And um, the the keeps followers on uh, low calorie diet uh, <laughs> and and long hours of work. Right. Right. Uh, you know milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think the only character who who we haven't really explored in this in this framework, Chris, yet is uh, is Veer. Right. Yeah. And. You know, I don't know. Again, that Centauri context makes it a little hard sometimes. Um, yeah, because I think he's he's certainly presented as um, the character that your that your nerdy boys are going to sympathize with most, right? Right. Right. Um, and. You know, we'll see what happens when he becomes emperor, I guess. Yeah. Right. It is interesting that uh, perhaps the most spectacular act of violence that we've seen on this entire show was enacted by Veer. By Veer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, okay, I don't want to rant. Go. <laughs> I, I, we've I've already done it once this episode, uh, and maybe maybe later on because I think we're getting more Centauri content coming up shortly. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the whole thing of Centauri being able to to you know that they that they know how they're going to die. Yes. Well, why didn't Cartagena see that coming? You know, why did he? You know, he should have seen Londo and Veer there. He should have kept them as far away from the court. I mean, yes, he was absolutely Fruit Loops bonkers, but. It seems to be applied inconsistently. Um, Cartagia would never believe any prophecy of any kind that he did not himself come up with. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't show him triumphing. Right. So I, that's yeah, that's fair. But it's it's a it's such a cultural if it. I'm trying to put myself in the in the mind space of a culture where this happens for everybody, and everybody it, it's it's just so ingrained. I I, I don't I don't disagree, mm. but I also believe that <laughs> that Cartagia the ha 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 mad right is not interested in what <laughs> you know That's true. In, in what in what uh, you know bald women you know. Strange women lying in ponds, <laughs> distributing <laughs> swords. You know, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. I do not yeah. care what you have to say. I, mm-hmm. I make my own prophecy. I will deny 
fate. Right. right. I will, you know, I, you know, Paul Muad'Dib will walk into the desert and not step into the <laughs> footsteps right. that are right. that are already there in the sand ahead of me. Uh, yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I can see that. I can see that. Thank you. I I, I withdraw my my rant. Oh, good. Um, uh, well, but, uh, uh, you know, you're but welcome I, but to I'll, rant about that yeah. in other contexts. But yeah, I, I'll put it on the back burner. I'm not going to completely withdraw it, but it'll just simmer for a while. Look at you. I know. Yeah. Look at the look at the, the how far I've progressed. Look at in, how much uh, you're in one episode. You're enacting a progressive masculinity right now. Mm, yeah. 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 Uh, it, it it would sort of be interesting if if JMS uh, cared a little more about these mm. ideas, you know, masculinities, femininities, uh, yeah. you know, in the Babylon Five universe. I mean, he obviously cares about them when he gets to Sense Eight, right? Right. Uh, and yeah. maybe that's just a function of of context. You can't really get any more than we got in B five because it's nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'd love to see him saying more about it today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to see what he would. He didn't really say much about Babylon five in in becoming Superman. No. Uh, it was. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how little there was. But it's you know it, it's more about the the journey than it's about making every single kind Correct. of thing along the way. Correct. Um, and maybe he's got another book where he talks about his his current reflections back on, on the show and what he would have done differently yeah. and, and all of that. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. Speaking of, you know, doing differently. Go. And all, if I, are we okay to pivot? Please. For something? Last episode, yes. back in the McKinley administration, right. you asked the question about uh, production teams or showrunners. Yes. That I would want on the new. Yes. And I, and I actually, for once in the history of the show, did some homework. Did you actually think about it? I did. It was weeks ago, but yes, I did. Carry on. Um, I would, the first call that I would make to hand this show over okay. would be to Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. I have no idea who those people are. They are the, the creative team, the showrunners behind the television shows of Avatar the Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Oh, well, that's a Ani- no-brainer, right? And yeah, animated shows, uh, you know, they I don't think they have their own production company, so I'm kind of cheating. Uh, it was all done under Nickelodeon Studios, but I look at those shows and I look at the character growth and I look at the character development and it's got it's got the same kinds of things happening within a shell of action. Okay. That you that you sort of want in a genre or in a sci-fi program. Yes. Um, and I would love to see what they would do with uh, with a live action, uh, you know, show like this. That would be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, have you watched those shows? <clears throat> I've watched uh, Avatar. Uh, okay, yeah. 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 And that is... As a as an arc, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, that show really holds together. Yeah, right. Yeah. All of you know we you know we we've been moaning in the past about well that show really hits its emotional beats, but its plot beats don't really make sense. Or mm-hmm. boy, the plot really held together, but why would anyone do that? Yeah, right. This show, it really understands what its story is. Yeah, it really leans into it. And, uh, and the emotional arcs are totally there. Right. Right. Like it's, yeah, it's I, tight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
and and I think Legend of Korra was which I haven't seen was this was was the same. I think it was it was still, you know, you know a lot of times you, you can't you can't catch lightning in the bottle twice. Sure, uh, but I definitely think they did, and uh, I think they're working on a live action adaptation of Avatar for television. This is my understanding. The movie didn't didn't exist. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I would love to see what they would do with this um, because, and the other thoughts that I had were, were, and I, I'm not sure who the, the showrunners production companies behind things like the Americans or ah, house of cards. Yeah. Um, or, or even bring in your, your like a Shonda rhymes. Shonda uh, rhymes. Because, yeah. Does scandal. Um, Grey's anatomy. Uh, yeah. Are you but she's mad? Got a, yes. <laughs> Uh, but, but see, I think at the heart, Babylon 5 is a political drama. Okay. With a skin of sci-fi on it. Huh. You know, we've got... Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, there's some of this space stuff going on. There's some of these space battles, but, you know, and I, and I'm not, I'm not going to say like, you know, it shouldn't be, it, it, it's very much a West Wing in space. Okay. And I think if you get somebody who is going to really play up those kinds of things and you know you can always have a like a, a like a, a a particular unit or something that focuses on getting the special effects right. Sure. Um you know if you know sort of how the beats and how the tension of the big kind of cosmic stuff tie into it. Right. It's it's all it's it's a very it's a it's a talky show. It's a walk and talk show. That's true. I would never in a million billion years have thought what you just said would make any sense. But it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So those are my those are my answers to the uh, the questions posed in uh, in episode one hundred. Those are great answers. I had some time to think about it. You yeah. Know, I can. When given given sufficient time and uh, and a lever long enough, I can move the world. Um, have you seen what Michael Dante DiMartino looks like? Do you know no. what he looks like? He looks yeah, like he looks just like Rick. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, our friend Rick Taken, uh-huh. uh, who's a professor down at Ringling in uh, yeah. in Florida. Um, Michael Dante DiMartino. Let's you, see. Oh my word, he does. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a much younger picture of him here, and then there's some current ones where I I would I would probably go up to him on the street and say, Rick, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, hmm. You know the I, what I like about your your ideas there is that if you took it with the sort of DiMartino and yeah. Konietzko, you'd get the kind of epic space opera. Right. Yeah. And the Vorlons would be ten times more interesting than they already were, mm-hmm. and all of these little things about the cultures that we think don't make sense, they would have good answers for, mm-hmm. right? And it would be, it would be, epic. Um, yeah. But you could take the show and 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 move it through the like you said, Shonda Rhimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it becomes sort of fun and soapy and not yeah. so not so self-absorbed and a little a little more you know 
um, you know, no, no boom today, boom tomorrow, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you tease out the humor in the show a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And and there would be an angle there as well. Yeah. That where yeah, you're on a space station, it would just be very talky. Right. right. Which which it is. I mean, right. frankly, you're on a space station, yeah. you're in a hospital, you're at a doctor's yeah. office, you're in a fire station, it doesn't really matter. Right. right. Yeah, wow, that would be a weird show. Yeah. I tune in. Kind of I would yeah. watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's along the lines of giving Ryan Johnson a Star Wars movie. Right. Like, oh, here's this guy that made, you know, Brick, Knives Out. Right. You know, well, <laughs> right. in the future, but, but you know, nothing in his CV says, you know, sci-fi franchise. And that's what I was really, I was even reluctant to to look at DiMartino and Kenyetsko you know, because I, I, I want, I, I wanted to find some, I wanted to get a break from, to break away from people who've cut their teeth on on sci-fi. Right, right. That's why I didn't want to look at like the folks behind the expanse. It's too similar. Right. Yeah, I I I, uh, I get that. Yeah. Uh so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh there it is. There it is. Yeah. Uh folks, if you have any other thoughts about you know, you know, we're perpetually talking about this Babylon Five reboot, and who knows? They they seem to reboot everything, uh, so maybe at some point down the line they will. But but uh, let us know who you would put in charge, uh, what what sort of creative teams, creative visions, or just creative directions. Maybe not specific people. Um, you know, like oh, who's who is it behind Mister Robot? Because that yeah, I don't be, know. That that I mean, if we're talking telepath war, you know, let's let's get. Let's get the whole Mr. Robot kind of production team in, in, in gear on that. Um, yeah, so so let us know. Uh, let us know on Facebook. Uh, as always, you can email us at uh, the name of the pod at gmail.com and uh, keep the discussion going. We're, we're entering the 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 back forty of yeah. the uh, of the of the of season five here. Uh, and I think we're gonna see some things accelerating as we start to uh, to wrap up the series. Full stop. Yeah. All right. right. See you next week. Talk to you. Talk to you then. Okay, bye.